Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to one passage of Scripture, and it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I feel like the Lord says it's really important for us to talk about stewardship today. Let me hear you say stewardship. Now, stewardship's an interesting word because it doesn't have to do just with finances, but stewardship really has to do with whatever God has given you. So if you've got Bob, if you've been given family and relationship and friends, how are you stewarding those relationships? It's really important for us to understand that stewardship is a key to advancement in the kingdom. And started a series a while back called Keys to Expansion, and so this is going to be a continuation of that series. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. My uh, oldest daughter, Morgan, just got back from her first year at Oral Roberts University. And um, I remember sitting down. Yeah, it's praise God, man. She should be good. Um, When we were in the orientation, the president of the university began to talk about the vision for ORU. And it really spoke to my heart. And one of the things they talked about at ORU here is this. We're raising whole leaders for the whole world. And that really speaks to my heart because that's really what we're wanting to do here at Legacy is that we're wanting to, to really raise up people who are wholehearted, spirit, soul, and body. You're a whole person. You know the shalom of God. Let me hear you say shalom. Shalom, shalom is just not a peaceful feeling. I love the eagles. I grew up listening to all that music. And there's that shalom is the wholeness of God. It's when you have an encounter with God, you suddenly discover who you were made to be. And that is whole and complete and nothing lacking. So when Jesus came to save the world, what he was offering the world was not a better version of them, but he was offering them the opportunity to step back into who God created and redeemed them to be forever. And what that is, is there's wholeness. Wholeness that comes from him. And so when we're talking about this is how are we raising up whole people so that we can go into the whole world and bring the kingdom to come and to release that same wholeness into the world around us? Because you give away what you have. Can we all agree that the world is full of broken people? Are we surprised that the world systems are broken? We shouldn't be because broken people break things and create systems that break things, and then we live and perpetuate and actually pass on broken things. But the Lord says this, is he's like, look, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and in him he's going to be the firstborn among many new people, many new system that actually establishes as it is in heaven here on the earth. And so we're called, if we're going to transform the world, we have to first step into this place and say, how are you making me whole? I have to learn to steward the wholeness that Jesus made possible so that I can actually demonstrate, become a demonstration, not just demonstrate by actions, that's got to be a part of it, but my whole life should be a demonstration of the wholeness of God so that the world that is broken out there, who's looking for something, there's a desire inside of them. Why is it? In Ecclesiastes it says this, God placed eternity in the hearts of people. So even lost people have a component of eternity within them that cries out to say, I need to know what it is to be whole. I need to know what it is. Who am I? What was I made for? How was I created? What does that look like? 
And if the people of God will learn to step into a place of wholeness, we will become the beautiful contrast that they actually need that becomes a walking invitation for them to say, hey, you think you can find your identity over here in this? No, 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 no. You think you find your identity in gender? No, 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 no. You think you find your identity in sexuality? No, no, no. Do you think you find it in money or power or fame or politics or any of those others? No, no, no. Let me show you. Let me demonstrate to you where wholeness comes from. And it comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're singing this song, Adonai. Do you know what Adonai means? Lord and Master. In a place of intimacy, we're crying out, Lord, Lord, Master, Master. We've, we've come into this place of wholeness where we can recognize this is your gig. This is your king. This is your place. I am your person. You bought me with a price. And so we really need to learn how to steward our wholeness because Jesus paid a high price for it. Spirit, soul, and body. So stewarding what someone else paid for is the key to stewardship. Let me define for you what a steward is. One employed in a large provision of servants, the collection of rents, and the keeping of accounts. A steward is a fiscal agent, one who actively directs affairs. So what's interesting about this is a couple weeks ago, I preached to you talking about this message of, excuse me, how do we walk into our identity as a son, a bride, and then ultimately a friend? Sonship is offered to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It's the spirit of sonship where you come into this place and you inherit the promises of the Lord. You inherit the opportunity to actually operate in the Father's business. But as a son, it's not about doing. A son is about becoming. And in that place of becoming, you actually have a steward that's placed over you in, a, in, the, in the father's house that's there to train you up in a way of the way you should go. And so when we're looking to this place, when it's talking about stewardship, we need to understand this. The Holy Spirit has been given to us not just as a promise, not just as empowerment, but also to steward us into what it means to actually be a son or a daughter. To actually what it is, will go to the whole world. See, the goal of transformation is not just to make you feel better. Not just to give you answers. Certainly, those will come. But the goal of transformation, the goal of being saved is that you actually become who he made you to be so that you can live out his purposes for your life, not what you think your purposes are for your life. There's nothing like when you finally step into saying, I don't have to strive to be something good for God. All of a sudden, the overflow of the time I have with him, the intimacy of the Lord, and I'm able to fully be who I am. And you're able to be fully who he's created you to be. In this room, there's diversity. There's a diversity of backgrounds. There's a diversity of economics. There's a diversity of family lives, skin colors, backgrounds, all those different stuff. And here's the beauty. It's all one God who's called you to one family. There's a diversity of gifts in this room. There's a diversity of callings in this room. Some are going to be called to the mission field. Some people are going to be called to be a stay-at-home mom. Some people are going to be called to be titans of industry. You hear what I'm saying? Some people were called to be married, and some people are going to be called to be single. There's a diversity of callings, but there's all one Lord. And so what you have to learn how to do is how I steward who he made me to be according to his image, his purposes, and his plans. And in this place, it requires me to actually submit and be led by the Holy Spirit. Certainly, we're led by the Spirit when we lay hands on the sick. But that's just the overflow of the Father's heart that says, I don't want anyone to be sick. 
In heaven, there's no sickness. So here on earth, where there's sickness, we're bringing the Father's intention in the heart where it's at. But another part of being led by the Spirit is this. Am I submitting my will to his will? Am I actually discovering what my identity is? Am I taking captive every single thought and making it into obedience to Christ? Am I, am I learning to be stewarded by the Holy Spirit? Do you hear what I'm saying? The steward of the Holy Spirit that actually empowers you to say what's in your hands. Steward that so you can be faithful with little, you can be faithful with more. Genesis 128a says this, The God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, and reign over it. Let me hear you say reign over. So our original mission was to be fruitful and multiply, yes, and family. But we were given a place of stewarding the whole earth, which means we govern over the earth. We're called to reign over the earth. So that requires us actually to learn how to reign and govern our own hearts in submission to the Holy Spirit. Genesis 2.15 says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it, tend and watch over it, work it and take care of it, tend and guard it and keep it and cultivate it and keep it. Every translation that you read is all about this aspect of stewarding a given place. Stewarding a given place. The, the, the garden of Eden was not the entirety of the world. Did you all know that? That means there was a certain level of acres that was the Garden of Eden, and the rest of the world was left untouched. And the Lord's saying, if you learn to garden this, if you learn to steward this, you're actually going to be fruitful and multiply, and pretty soon your descendants are going to be too numerous to steward just this plot of land so that you can send them into the rest of the world where they begin to actually tend to the garden of the world. They tend to the other places of the world and take as it is in the garden and bring that to the place of the rest of the earth that needs to be tended to. This is the original mandate that we've been given. Luke 19.13 says this, So he called ten servants, delivered to them ten minus, and said to them, Do business until I return. In other words, be fruitful, multiply, conduct kingdom business until I return, steward what is given, produce fruit, and multiply. This is the parable that Jesus gave before he left the earth. So they had a context that was this. Hey, when I'm gone, it's better for me to go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's actually going to live inside of you. And then from that place, you're going to have gifts. You're going to have calling. You're going to have people. You're going to have opportunities to steward according to the kingdom what I've placed in your hands. And if you can do that, then you're actually going to have access to greater things. And, when we were, and how long were we supposed to do this? Until he came back. So last time I checked, Jesus has not come back yet. And, and I don't make this as a statement of judgment. This is not a negative statement. But I'm, I, I, we have to take an honest assessment. How has the church actually stewarded the planet? In a lot of ways, we've done really, really good. In a lot of ways, there's places there's stuff left untouched. And so I feel like we're, we're called to go into that next level that says this, I don't want one square inch of the earth to not be touched by the glory of God. I don't want one single person to not know who Jesus really is and who he called and redeemed them to be. There should not be one person who has not heard the gospel of Jesus coming to them. This is what's on the desire of the heart. My question is, how do we get to there? And I'm not going to read through the whole story. But he came and he gave one five, he gave one three, and he gave one one. Master goes away, he comes back, calls the servants, 
says, it's time to settle your accounts. How did you do while I was gone? The one who had five multiplied it into ten. And the Lord's like, well done, my good and faithful servants. You were faithful with what was put in your hand. Now have stewardship over what? Ten cities. He multiplied his influence. It wasn't about the multiplication of money. It was a multiplication of influence of families, relationships. Same thing happens with the one who had three. He multiplied it. He finally gets to the last one. The last one says, man, I know who you are. You take what's not yours. You're a harsh man. So I buried it so that whenever you came back, I could very least give you what you gave me in return. And the Lord's like, wait a minute. I didn't give it to you to bury. I gave it to you to put it to work. So even what was given to him was actually taken away. Here's the point. In order us to get to the near hands, how are you stewarding what's in here in your own heart, your own emotions, and bringing it underneath submission to the mind of Christ, the heart of God? Emotions are not bad. Let me hear you say emotions aren't bad. They're not sinful. They're not a ploy of the devil. You're just not called to live by your emotions. Your emotions inform you, but you're called to live by the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus had emotions. He wept. He got really angry one time in the temple. He had sanctified emotions. And so we have to learn how to bring our emotions into check with who he is. And so when we look at what the Lord is doing in this time, it's time for us as a bride to really say, hey, individually, let me check myself. Second Chronicles 7.14, we like to, to quote this all the time. Every time National Day of Prayer comes about or if there's some national crisis, we quote this scripture. And it's a good one, but we need to finally get to the place where we fulfilled it. If my people who are called by my name will humble them, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If you're born again in this room, will you say, I am? So that means you've actually already been forgiven of your sin, which means you had to turn away from the wicked way. So we've already accomplished a portion of this. What's, what keeps us in that place where he can heal our land? We humble our hearts. So we must deal with any sense of entitlement that we have. We won't steward, we won't multiply what we feel entitled to. Receiving the love of the Father gives you the grace to steward what he loves. I just want you to think about that. Receiving of the love of the Father gives you the grace to steward what He loves. See, it's not about resources. It's not about money. It's not about cities. What does He love? People. For God so loved the world. That word, that word wasn't just about the planet. Obviously, He loves the planet He created because He loves everything He created. But who was it that He said was very good? His people. So God so loved the people of the world that he sent his son to redeem them. Do they need to make a choice to follow him? Of course. But in this place, how am I going to steward what God loves? I have to receive his love. So now suddenly I pick up the love that he has for people around me, the world around me. And I'm going to say this statement. And most importantly, you actually discover how to love yourself. I'm not saying about arrogance and pride, like look at me. I'm his favorite. I'm the best. All y'all stink. I'm really the best. I have the best revelation. I am the best preacher ever. I'm, that's arrogance and that's pride. And do you know that God still loves me if I was acting arrogantly? But pride goes before a fall. I think sometimes the fall is this. God sticks his foot out in front of you so you trip. 
And you go, okay, that didn't work out. So you can get back up in humility and actually learn how to follow him. We need to learn to receive the love of wives as what? Christ loved the church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? So if you don't learn how to receive love for you, so what is stewardship of your mind, your will, and your emotions? What's stewardship of your physical body? What's stewardship of your spiritual life? It's actually learning to steward the love that God has given for you specifically and actually putting into action. So when you steward your body, when you steward your mind, your will, and your emotions, you're actually learning to put to work the love of God in your life. So that now you freely receive, you have something to give away. Broken people break people, but loved people actually love people. Transformed people will actually bring transformation everywhere they go. So we need to step into this place of what it looks like. Inheritance is not an entitlement. We have inherited things both in the kingdom and in this nation from others that have dangerously become entitlements. It's not about entitlements, it's about inheritance. If you want to read through the minus story, you can go to Luke chapter 19. It's got it there for it. So stewardship of what God has placed in our hands is a matter related to the condition of one's heart and maintained intimacy with the Father's heart. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, for which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You probably, excuse me, have heard this before, but it doesn't say the love, loving money. It says for the love of. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's when you actually place something on the throne of your heart that's greater than God. Now, is there anything greater than God? But when you place something on, you're saying that it is. So it's this condition of the heart. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, whatever you value the most, whatever you esteem the most, there the desires of your heart will be. So let's look at first, or second, second Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. It says this, Paul, an apostle, a special messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace and favor and spiritual blessing, mercy and heart peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I worship with a pure conscience and the spirit of my fathers without ceasing. I remember you night and day in my prayers." And when, as I recall your tears, I yearn to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith, the leaning of your entire personality on God and Christ, and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. It's a faith that, faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice now, and I'm fully persuaded that he dwells in you also. Now, before I continue on, I just want you to pick up what is Paul's mother. Timothy was in this place. He had a Greek father. We don't know much about his father. But what we do know is this. The sincere faith, the whole faith of Eunice and Lois actually was passed on to their son and their grandson, Timothy. So when Paul comes along and begins to share the gospel, Timothy had something to actually work with, had something to be able to grab a hold of. And so as he's yearning, as he's writing this letter to him, what is he saying? Timothy, you're wholehearted. I love that about you. 
I want to be around you because when I'm around a wholehearted person, it actually encourages me. It builds up my faith. And when he's looking in this, he says, I, am, I, I, I love the fact that you lean your entire personality on God in Christ because you absolutely trust and have confidence in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. So what are we talking about? How do we steward that? How do you lean your entire personality we have all kinds. It's on Facebook. It was, it was going around before Facebook, all the, the Enneagrams and personality tests and this and that and who am I. And then it got to Facebook and Instagram and some other places and what Star Wars character are you and what, you know, this or that. You know, it's like we go, what we're doing, it's like, who am I? Who are you? What did you talk? What character were you? What, but what you want to know is this. What, what, who did God create me to be? And how do I lean my entire personality on who Jesus is? Now, you can use like a parable. Jesus told stories. He told parables. You can actually look to other people and say, I'd love to be like Paul. I'd like to be like Luke. I'd love to be like Anakin Skywalker before he fell. That was from my spiritual boy right there. It's, it's okay to look at examples. I hope you look at, you look at people in your life. I want to be like my father. I, I remember growing up, my, man, my dad was such... passed away last September, so that hit me. Such a man of integrity. I remember this one time I was playing. I never picked up a racket before, but the, our school wanted to, <laughs> to field a team so our buddies go, hey, this sounds fun. We can, we can whack a ball with a stick really hard. And so uh, I was at a tournament, and I used to have a, I used to have a mouth on me. And I had a, had a temper that would come out when I played sports. I did not like to lose. I'm highly competitive. And uh, I remember this particular match. I was playing horrible, partly because I wasn't good. And, uh, <laughs> but I sounded like John McEnroe at Wimbledon. If you all know who John McEnroe was. Beep, 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 beep. And um, I'm, I made a fool of myself. And I remember after the match, my, my, my brother, who's eight years younger than I am, and my dad, they met me. And my dad didn't say a single thing, like disappointed. He just looked me in the eyes and he goes, son, I love you. But that's not how Miller's at. He turned around and walked away. It was, a, it was a conviction in my heart saying, I was not leaning my personality into who God made me to be. I was actually taking up the base. How do we steward these moments? It's not that you're not going to have moments where you mess up. I mean, everybody in this room probably say in the last couple weeks, you had some moment where you're tired, you're weary, you're frustrated, and you messed up. Is that all true in the room? So how do we just live by the grace of God that says, I repent of that, but I step back into where I lean fully into who Christ made me to be. This is where I learned how to steward, how to give grace to other people when I give grace to myself. Now, hear me on this. If I continue, Paul says in Romans, if I continue to sin because I think I'm forgiven, and I keep saying, well, I just need more grace and more grace because he's just going to forgive me, at some point, you're going to run headlong into a Holy Spirit smack upside the head because I can't use forgiveness as an excuse to continue to sin, Right? So if that's your mode of operatum, you need to go back to step one is this. Who is your Lord? Not just who is your Savior. Jesus saved me, but he's also Adonai. He's my Lord and he's my master. I, I was bought with a price. I was created by his hand and by his word and by his intentions. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation, but that's the truth and that's the reality. 
I step into that place. But when I mess up, learn to receive the grace of God so that I can turn around and be an example, use my story to other people. So let's pick up in verse 6. It says, that is why. Let me hear you say, that is why. That's why I would remind you to stir up, to rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of it, keep it burning, the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying of my hands with those elders at your ordination. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but one of cowardness or craving, cringing, fawning fear. But he's given us a spirit of power, of love, and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. You might have have memorized it. He didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and what? A sound mind. What's Paul appealing to on this point? He's going, I've seen the sincerity of your faith. I've seen how you've stewarded the faith of your mother and your grandmother. Now I'm calling you to to steward the gift that's placed into you. That's not according to anyone else. It's according to the gift that God placed inside of you. There's a point where we have to grow up. There's a point where it's good. I I listen to sermons of other pastors still because I'm still in this constant place of growth. But guess what? There's a moment where I have to steward my ability to hear God, my ability from him to actually teach or share or to equip, to love my family. I can't live vicariously through the life of someone else. It's important for me to stand up those flames because when God places his gift inside of you, there's fire on it. We just sang that song, let your fire come like a wildfire and burn up of our idols. What, what have you placed above the name of God? What have you placed above the call of God in your life? It's time to let that be burned down so you can come to a place of fire and passion where the grace of God lives inside of you and through you. Who did he make you to be? Who did he call you or this gift that's inside of you? You have to love the gift of God inside of you as you love God himself. You don't worship the gift, but you must love the gift. Why? Because it's his love to you to become who he made you to be. What are you giving away to people? His love. What's the grace of God all about so that people would know his love and actually be transformed? They need to know him. And so we're in this place where Paul is saying, fan into flames. There's this example, Paul, I mean, Timothy would have understood it where they actually had these fire boxes that, and it's every culture that's ever been transient or whatnot uh, before we had lighters and things like that would have known this, where you spark the fire, you had this flame or you had this ember and they had a box, they had a pouch, they had some way of putting it into a carrying container so they could carry it with them until they got to their next spot to make a fire and then they would bring out that ember and then what they would do is they begin to fan it into flames, they begin to blow in it, they begin to add all kinds of uh, uh, tinder and things like that to actually spark it into flames. This would have meant something to him. So what do you do? What are those things? What's the prophetic word spoken about you? Put that on like tender. What is the words of encouragement you've received from your friends and your family? Who did God make you to be? Begin to add. How do you fan into flame this gift that's inside of you? You actually begin to add the other gifts that God has given you. So you turn it into a place of a holy sacrifice before him. See, part of stewardship is not hoarding it for yourself, but stewardship is actually employing what God has given you inside of you and giving it away in the appropriate place 
without the expectation of return for the purpose of the master to get the return. What, was the, what were the first two guys doing? When they employed the five minus, what was he doing? This is my master's and I have a responsibility to put it into the fire of work so that as it multiplies, the master's resources will be multiplied. Now take that example and put that in your own heart. What do your thoughts look like? What's your intimate time with the Lord look like? How do you read the scriptures? How do you relate with one another? Use those as tender that actually go onto the fire of your worship. And then what it is, Lord, this is your return. My life becomes a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 talks about, um, let your lives become a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know the perfect and pleasing will of God. But it first starts with this, but I live my life, I give my life as a living sacrifice. And so what Paul is saying in this is say, Timothy, that prophetic word you got at your ordination that everybody oohed and awed about, we've had those moments, have you ever had that? And you're like, oh my God, this is the prophet of the Lord has spoken to me. And everybody's like, ooh, I wish I had that word. How are you putting it back onto the altar? Turning into worship. Turning the praise of him. Learning to steward that's within you. We must learn to steward our whole being, our spirit, our soul, and our bodies. When we don't steward our soul and body, it will begin to taint the spiritual. This is a good quick example. Jesus stewarding his natural body Despite being filled with the Spirit and walking in full obedience of his Father, Matthew 8, 23 and 24, as Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was sleeping. Jesus, everybody's like, well, he was just trying to prove a point. Yeah, the point was is he was tired and he was taking a nap, and he knew he was going to get onto the other side of the lake. That was the point. He had trust from his heart and his soul was at peace that allowed him to steward his physical body because he walked everywhere he went and he actually needed to rest. So stewardship is an important thing. How do you steward your thought life? Let me give you a few scriptures. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, there's going to be an overflow that's actually going to demonstrate the way you live. Psalm 139, 2. You know when I sit and when I arise. You understand my thoughts from afar. So you're called to steward what God knows. So if God knows your thoughts, you must know your thoughts and learn to steward your thoughts. Matthew 12, 25, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them. Luke chapter 6, verse 8, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to the man with the weathered hand, get up and stand among us. So he got up and stood here. Luke chapter 9, verse 47, Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, had a little child stand beside them. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So stop there real quick. We use this scripture very often when we see an evil happening in society, or we go into spiritual warfare and we say, hey, we've been given weapons that are mighty. And there's another scripture in Colossians, I believe, it says, where it says you can actually tear down strongholds. But listen to the context of the demolishing of strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion 
are raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do you steward your thought life? Does it obey Jesus? You have to ask the question. This thought just popped into my mind. This belief system popped in my mind. I was raised in a family that didn't follow God. Now I need to begin to say, well, those thoughts are not the thoughts that I need to take captive. I mean, that I need to follow. I need to take them captive and say, which ones actually follow Jesus and which ones don't? It's a very simple, but it's a very practical thing. We have to learn how to steward our thought life and take in obedience. How do we make it obey Christ here to lead you into what? All truth. I'm here to say all truth. Not just partial truth, not just some truth. It's here to lead you into all truth. What's the truth? The truth of who he is, the knowledge of God. Not just about him, but what knowledge does God have? It's there to lead you into truth of who he is, which includes how did he create you? Male, female, right? What did he create you for? What does that look like? We're bringing all those things into obedience to the mind of Christ and how he thinks, how he feels, and how he lives. So let's look at Second Timothy again and see how Paul is addressing not just the spiritual gift and calling to Timothy, but the whole part of Timothy. I just want to go back through this again. So again, verse 1, Paul, apostle of Christ. Uh, let's go to verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, this word here, peace, means to literally to join, to tie together into a whole. Properly, it's wholeness. When all essential parts are joined together, the peace of God is there. It's the gift of his wholeness. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice. And that I am convinced it is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying of my hands. We talked about the grace gift of God. Look what it says again. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but a one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's just unpack that real quick. One of power. Let me hear you say power. This is the same word that he says this. Go to Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will come and, and endue you with what? Power. It's the Greek word for dunamis, dynamite power. So when the Spirit comes on you, it's not just about dynamite power that raises the dead and casts out demons. It's the dynamite power that actually brings your heart into wholeness. How many people have ever had a, a heartbreak in your life? You've ever had a disappointment in your life. You've ever had a frustration in your life. It's the power to actually bring that into the wholeness of Christ. Because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit that gives the power to bring you in to wholeness. It's not a partial wholeness. It's a full wholeness. And so we have to learn how to steward. How are you stewarding the power of God to bring you into wholeness? So this is why counselors are good. This is, this is why inner healing ministry is good because sometimes we're having a difficulty reconciling our past and what people did to us or things we even did with the present reality of Christ. But let me tell you what, what those counselors are doing is they're leading you into an encounter with power that actually transforms you. And you have to be willing to confront your scars. Kelly wrote something in, when we did Baseline years ago that said this, dare your scars to confront Christ encounter him. Sorry. Dare your scars to encounter Christ. 
What has more power over you, your scars or Jesus? It's easy to say in this room. What happens at three in the morning? What happens when you see that person that betrayed you? What happens when you have a memory of that person that abused you? In that moment, I've not been given a spirit of fear. I'm not going to fear that person anymore. I've been given a spirit of power that makes me whole. Not power to come against them, power to call thunder down from heaven or lightning from down and strike them dead, which I propose to you we actually probably could do because Jesus did not rebuke the sons of thunder for doing it. He questioned their motivation. You know what I'm talking about? Power for restoration, power for wholeness. Look what the next one is. Power of, uh, one of power, love. Let me hear you say agape. This is the pure love of God. So when the power of God comes on you, power absent for love is actually dangerous. The dynamite, and this is what Jesus is calling John and his brother into account for. Hey, Jesus, these guys were talking smack. Can we just call fire down from heaven on top of them and end this once and for all? And Jesus doesn't go, why did you think you could even do that? Who told you you had power that you could call fire down from heaven? That's not his response. Do you really love them? Do you know my heart? What are you doing? Like, like don't call fire. Do you, can you have a love and a compassion for them? So Jesus is saying, take the power that you actually have through the Holy Spirit and use it from the context and the lens of my love. Suddenly, love actually gives you the proper context to actually use the power of God for wholeness. And finally, sound judgment. Let me say sound judgment. Self-control is another translation in that. Let me just read through. I love going in and breaking down the Greek words for this. I'm not going to give you what that word is because it's too long for me. But it means this, properly safe-minded, issuing a sensible behavior that fits a situation, aptly acting out God's will by doing what he calls sound reasoning. And here's the key. That this Greek word is only used in this passage in the entirety of the Bible. It's only used one time. And so in this place, he's saying this. He hasn't just given you power. He doesn't have just given you love. But he's given you the capacity to do what God thinks is reasonable in that moment. This is why surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit is important. Because if you're not submitted to the Holy Spirit, if you're not steward in the Holy Spirit, what you'll end up doing is what you think is right, which might be calling fire down on people. And you'll misappropriate your power because you didn't have the context of love to actually carry out your own will. It also says this, the inner outlook, which regulates your outward behavior. Acting in God's definition of balance. It makes someone genuinely temperate, well-balanced from God's perspective. True balance is not a one-size-fits-all, nor is it blandly static. It means there's a flexibility to it. It's biblical moderation. A man who does not command himself, but rather is commanded by God. Did y'all pick that up? So he's not given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, which means this. I don't command myself when I'm stewarding my mind, my will, my emotions, my gifting, my calling, everything he gave me, when I'm stewarding it, I'm actually not commanding myself. I'm actually submitting it to the lordship of Jesus who commands me. 
which really makes it a lot easier. In that moment where you want to smack somebody upside the head and just go, Jesus, would you smack him upside the head? And we want to convince ourselves that he would. We really do. But we go, that wouldn't be a sound mind. I'm going to be commanded by Jesus right now in this moment, and I'm going to walk away. Or I'm going to be encouraging, or I'm going to bless him, or I'm going to forgive him, whatever it is. You all hear the point on here? The root word of this, I just want you to pick up on this. It's the root word for the English word diaphragm. The inner muscle that regulates physical life, controlling breathing and a heartbeat. So think about that. The context of this is if you want to have self-control, you actually have to learn with the, to live with the breath of God, which is the what? The Holy Spirit. Whew, the Ruach of God that made Adam and Eve alive. Whew, the Ruach of God that actually made you born again. We're about to baptize people who were made alive from the Ruach, the breath of God, that's selling their lungs start to breathe according to Jesus. And that's the spirit that we live by. Let me just finish this last verse. Verse 11. For this gospel I was appointed, a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. This is talking about Paul's purpose. And that's why I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed because I know the one I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. You see, it's a lifelong pursuit to steward yourself. It requires humility and intentionality to continue to be refined even as you succeed. And what Paul is saying this, God didn't just give you a gift and expect you to use it on your own. In this divine interchange, this exchange with him where you're learning to live by the grace of God, the power of God, he's actually entrusting the gift he put inside of you. And he's just waiting for you to say, God, you gave me this gift, you gave me this assignment. If you don't do it, we ain't doing it. And he's going, because you surrender to me, now will you step out? Now will you lay hands? You have to use your will to match up with his will and then live by the breath of God. And finally, verse 13 says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in us that good thing entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. And I thank you that um, even the preaching of the word is not according to the gifting of the person, but according to the power of the words from you. So I ask that your spirit, Lord God, would lead us into all truth. I ask, Lord, that your spirit, Lord God, would begin to breathe on, Lord, that gift that's deep within inside of us, Lord God, that you begin to remind people how beautiful they are, how loved they are, how completely whole you desire to make them to be, God. And we ask you right now, would you just find any area in our life that's not living according to the wholeness of God? And we ask you, would you bring your healing? Would you bring your wholeness? We just act as a, an act of our will. Choose, Lord God, to submit our will to you, to submit our thoughts to you, to submit our emotions to you. And we choose in this moment to receive the spirit that's not a spirit of fear, but we choose to receive the dynamite power for wholeness. We choose right now to receive the agape love that binds us and covenant. And we choose to operate with your sound mind everywhere we go. And we just give you Holy Spirit permission when we begin to 
put our mind about a thing, God, that Holy Spirit, would you just remind us it's not about our mind, but your mind. And let's give an invitation in the room right now. If anyone has yet to be born again, today is a good day to be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You were created in a world that was broken. But Jesus came that you might be made whole so that you can make wholeness the new reality of the planet. So if that's you, just say in your heart, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm raised with you right now and am born again. And we just declare this right now in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.